There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Now look, like everybody else, I have been obsessed with everything that's going on in my country and particularly with what the justice system seems to uh, be doing to one particular political party and one particular man. And that man, of course, is uh, Donald J. Trump. But there's, whoa, way more stuff. Oh, goodness, what is this that uh, suddenly started talking? Oh, hold on. I'm trying to turn off computers and the rest of it. Ah, that was uh, strange. But anyway, um, I've been very engaged. And obviously, last night I spoke in front of the uh, Kings Point uh, group, and, and I think I was a little wild uh you know I, I can't tell something happens i go into this other zone and i'm not sure you know sometimes if i um if i get you know crazy and belligerent but that does happen so um i do know that i was fired up i'm still fired up but i'm also looking around the world and you know what i say all the time you know while you're looking at the magician's right hand at the shiny thing in the magician's right hand the magician is actually doing something with his left hand that may be far more important, have much greater impact uh, on your life and certainly on the trick or the joke or whatever it is that you call what magicians do. And I've been looking at some of the news and sort of dismissing it because I've been so focused on what's going on in my country. There uh, is something happening in the world that is really concerning. And I, I did hear, I think, uh, briefly on Brian Kilmeade's show, he was talking with a security person about China. And really, I was not paying very careful attention to that. And now I have been reading articles this morning on how Saudi Arabia and China are really ramping up all of this sort of economic, diplomatic, and military activities that they do together so that they will have greater influence in the Middle East than we will. Now, I want you to think about that because the United States and Israel have been very successful in bringing other countries. Well, let me, let me just say this. Donald Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu were very successful at bringing Middle Eastern countries into an alliance, if not a straight-up alliance, certainly into a, an understanding. And we've always had a complicated relationship with the Middle East, right? But after years of us inserting ourselves in the region and after years of a um, Cold War-like relationship between Saudi Arabia's uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, uh, the, what do they call him, MBS, and the Biden administration, well, guess who stepped in to fill this sort of diplomatic role that was once ours? 
it was our exclusive domain. And now China has stepped into the gap. Whenever there's a vacuum, there will always be something to fill that vacuum. So if you're asking the question, and I, I was reading an article in the Jerusalem Post this morning, if you're asking the question, are we losing our influence in the Middle East? It's not simple to answer that question. Because if you look at, if, you, if all you're looking at is Saudi Arabia, then yes, our relationship with Saudi Arabia has changed, especially since uh, Mohammed bin Salman has been in power. It used to be, you know, they were a sure thing, a sure thing ally. It's not like that anymore. It's very unpredictable. And, you know, the Middle East is a complicated subject. And this is the seventh son of King Salman, who was named Crown P Prince back in, I think it was like 2016 or 2017, and then became Prime Minister of the whole kingdom on, in, in 2022. And the CIA alleges that it was MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, that ordered the assassination of Jamal Khashoggi, who was a Washington Post columnist, who was extremely critical of, uh, of the Saudi kingdom. And analysts made this case that 15 Saudi agents took part in the murder at the consulate, the Saudi Arabian consulate in Turkey, and that they uh, strangled Khashoggi and then dismembered him with a bone saw. At the time, uh, Joe Biden was a candidate for the United States presidency. And he vowed that he would make Saudi Arabia an international pariah and that they were going to pay the price for this murder. Now, Saudi Arabia has always denied and continues to deny that MBS was involved. Not that I believe them, but that's their contention. And they claim that, that the agents that butchered Khashoggi had actually um, done it without the crown princes, without the prime minister's approval, that, that, that they went rogue, right? Then in 2021, when he became president, Joe Biden declassified an FBI report that alleged there was a connection between the 9-11 terrorists and Omar al-Bayoumi, who the FBI claims was a, a Saudi intelligence agent living here in this country, and that 15 of the 19 Islamic terrorists who attacked the U.S. on 9-11 were actually Saudi nationals. And the FBI report also claims that, uh, that there was a Saudi diplomat who was involved. Now, the embassy, the Saudi Arabian embassy, I don't even know they still say Arabian, the Saudi embassy in Washington, D.C., did release a statement saying that any allegation that Saudi Arabia is complicit in the September 11 attacks is categorically false. Now I'm just going to ask this question to my audience, and you don't have to answer it out loud, because it's a rhetorical question. Do you believe they had nothing to do with the September 11 attacks when 15 of the, of the uh, men who got on those planes were Saudi Arabian citizens? I mean, that's a little much to ask of me. So now we see that China is ramping up its influence in the Middle East. That is not good for us. 
I think the best answer for us is to actually um, sort of reassert ourselves as a reliable partner to the countries in the Middle East and across the world, the, the developing countries. You know, what is the cause of China's rise in the Middle East? And then does that even matter? You know, last week, not only is China ramping up its diplomatic role in the region, it's increasing its military footprint. And it's being very aggressive towards our military. Last week, they, they had the uh, warship, a Chinese warship, harassing a United States Navy, USS uh, uh, Chung-Hoon, in the Taiwan Strait. By the way, the USS Chung-Hoon is named after the first Asian-American uh, flag officer, U.S. Navy Rear Admiral Gordon Chuang-Hoon, who was of uh, Chinese ancestry. So there was a statement released by the Indo-Pacific Command. Our Indo-Pacific Command said that the Chinese naval vessel executed maneuvers in an unsafe manner in the vicinity of, of Chung-Hoon, of the USS Chung-Hoon, and that it came within 150 yards of the American ship. This was the second time that the Chinese were provocative in one week. You know, they had a whole bunch of interactions between Chinese and U.S. aircraft last week. And these are dangerous games that could lead to devastating military consequences. But apparently, uh, you know, China doesn't seem to care. And they appear to be ramping up their provocations. So does it matter to anybody? It doesn't matter to me, I can tell you straight up what the root cause of China's rise in the Middle East is, I think I know, but does it matter? No. What matters is that we are perceived as weak. And I don't think it's just a perception. How about that? I think we are weak. I think our fiscal budget for the U.S. Department of Defense in 2023 is $816 billion dollars. And the Chinese defense budget is about, I don't know, a fourth of that, $220 billion. But our defense budget has to tackle what's going on, not just in the Asian Pacific Rim, but in the Middle East, in North Africa, in uh, uh, South America, in North Korea and South Korea. I mean... Think about this for a second. We are underserving the United States military. I know that for a fact. I said that last night when I was speaking to this group. You know, they're sending millions and millions of dollars worth of equipment and ammunition to the Ukrainian, uh, you know, forces to fight the Russians. And meanwhile, I have people who are in the military, the United States military, telling me they don't have bullets. They don't have the equipment that they need, the vehicles that they need. They don't have the fixed-wing planes that they need. But we're sending them over to the Ukraine because all of a sudden, the Democrat Party has decided they're going to police the world. You know, this is the party that used to call out all the neocons for policing the world. You know, and now they're doing it. 
And I got to tell you, I don't think the American people are with him. I really don't. And I think it's going to play out in the next election. And I'll tell you, it should. We should not just stay focused on domestic politics because our domestic politics are truly messed up. But I think we can actually overcome the mess and restore some civility and decency to our government. It won't be easy. And we're going to have to become very, very activated and motivated to get Congress and to get all of the various local governments where we do have a great, but a, a great deal of input, whether it's the legislatures, the governor's mansions, we need to get activated and we need to start talking about domestic politics. But we can't forget that there's a whole big world out there and there are a lot of fighting going on in that whole big world. And in the past, our allies knew they could depend on us and our enemies knew they should be afraid of us. And that's just not true anymore. That's a very dangerous situation for the whole world and for us. So, you know, I'm one of these people who is always trying to be sort of watching everything at the same time. You know, whack-a-mole, I say it all the time. Every time I start fixating on one thing, you know, something else pops up. And I say to myself, well, wait a minute, you know, have I ignored this and has this now become problematic? And I think that, you know, we certainly have not been paying attention to the influence that China, who I would say is our uh, worst enemy right now, I don't care what anybody else says, you know, China is very dangerous right now. And it's being led by somebody who's just, in my opinion, just as wicked and evil as Vladimir Putin. But we like to target Vladimir Putin, right? What we don't like to do is upset China. All these complicated trade things. And apparently I have a, a president who goes out of his way to be provocative with them. And then on the other hand, won't answer questions about how much money he's, he and his son and his brother and everybody else has taken from this country. Like what's going on here? If you're not concerned, it's because you're looking at the shiny thing all the time. And I get it. I really do. There are some pretty scary things happening. You know, and all we talk about is like, ooh, what did, uh, you know, what did Don Jr. say about Jews and Mexicans? Uh, what? How is that a headline? You know, how, how is it a headline that we have established now, we're not just guessing, but we have established that the first patient of COVID-19 was a virologist at the Wuhan Institute for Virology, and nobody has been, uh, you know, there's no special prosecutor. Nobody's, uh, you know, walking around in handcuffs why? The, the government lied to us and they all must be accountable. Even the people in the, in the Trump administration who were so terrified and we all were terrified that they didn't ask enough questions and they allowed this, this, this Anthony Fauci, which is my new term for the F word, you know, Fauci that, 
How is it that they allowed him to dictate shutting down schools and virtually taking an already endangered, uh, you know, group of, of young people that are getting lousy educations anyway, and then just even deprive them of the lousy education for two years. And, and there's no penalty to be paid, even though he was part of the funding for that gain-of-function research that the uh, patient number one was involved in? Do you really believe that if that had been, uh, you know, somebody that uh, Donald Trump had uh, put in place? Well, I guess he did put Fauci in place, didn't he? It's really scary right now. Everywhere I turn, the, the, the deeper you dig, the worse it looks. And the only good news I have for you today is that right now, the first two primaries that are coming up on the Democratic side Looks like RFK Jr. might win, and he has not spent a single penny on advertising. What does that tell you? It may not be Joe Biden in the next election. Anyway, don't forget to have our app, the 850 WFTL app. Download it. That way you can get all the breaking news stories. You can hear the podcast. You can hear uh, today's show if you miss any part of it, uh, or you can send it to somebody else to listen to. If you don't ha want to have an app, I know a lot of people are now reluctant to put any apps on their phones. They have too many. Then go to the website, 850WFTL.com. You can participate in our contest and get those same goodies that I just talked about, podcasts and shows and, and all that stuff, thought of the day. But you got to either go to the website or download the app. I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. So that's, uh, you know, just uh, one of the things that crossed my radar, right, that uh, I have not been paying as much attention as I feel I should to a lot of the international news. And there's a price for ignoring such things. Because if I'm not the one sounding an alarm, well, then I have sort of dropped the ball on what I'm here for. You know, now I'm, um, I'm listening to this president who, look, uh, everybody knows, I, I think this guy is a, a blithering idiot, okay? And I, it's not like I just started thinking that. You know, he has been a blithering idiot for a long time. You know, I remember when he was in the Senate, and I remember, you know, him threatening people as vice president. In the Ukraine, nine, mind you. And now he's sending all my money to the Ukraine. You know, uh, these things concern me. But he just said that he plans to build a massive railroad from the Pacific all the way across the Indian Ocean. We have plans to build a railroad from the Pacific all the way across the uh, Indian Ocean. So who who's going to run that train? SpongeBob? Yeah. 
What? 8,000-mile ocean train? Come on, guys. How could anybody seriously consider him for another term? I'm sure he misspoke. You know, maybe all he has to do is build a shipyard. You know, but a, a a train, a railroad, like, does anybody vet the things? I guess you can't. You can't vet them, right? I guess Mayor Pete really does walk on water if they're going to build a railroad from the Pacific all the way across the Indian Ocean. That's why I say, now, most of you didn't even notice that story, right? It was not covered on ABC or any of the the other alphabet soup networks. But I have a president who really thinks that you could build a railroad from like, you know, San Francisco all the way across the Indian Ocean. That scares me. It really does. And that's why China is filling the void that's been left by this guy. I was looking, of course, you know, that doesn't mean that I'm going to take my eyes off the election because the election is super, super important to me, as you well know. And it should be super, super important to you. I had people asking me last night, well, what do we do? What do we do? Yeah, you do what we always do when we find ourselves in this position. You know, figure out a schedule of how you're going to talk to our elected representatives and then do it. You know, I call Moskowitz's office every day. My congressman. Why? Not because I think he's going to pay attention to what I have to say. I never talk to him. You know, I talk to staffers. But they got to make a check mark. I'm a constituent. And if enough people do this, it does move the needle. You know, in 2007, when we were uh, um, furious about the McCain-Kennedy bill, we rallied the troops. We shut down the, the phone lines at the Capitol building. People forget how much power you actually have, and you sit back and you just watch the world go around. You know, I have enough uh, food in the refrigerator, and, uh, you know, nobody's uh, harassing me personally, and I, you know, th- th- there's things going on that you should be more accountable for. You know, people ask me, what can we do? Call your congressman. How, when should I call? Every day. The problem didn't get fixed, right? I'm not calling him with a new problem every day. I pretty much stay on the same couple of issues. You know, my issues, as you well know, are election integrity, immigration, and the culture war. You know, stop listening to the people who tell you, well, don't talk about that stuff. You know, immigration is not a winning subject for you. The culture war is not a winning subject for you. Daniel Greenfield wrote a great article. I think I did my um, moment on it because it really, it just struck a chord with me. I had no idea what the statistics look like when it comes to this whole woke culture war that's going on, right? Everybody thinks that like wokeness, you know, I, I, I think I was watching Mark Cuban on some YouTube video the other day, or it might've been a, a, an actual news article, I don't remember, but it had to do with Mark Cuban. No, it was definitely like some kind of uh, a video because he was pulling up a pair of socks and he, you know, he was uh, making a Cuban sandwich. I don't know. It was a silly thing. But Mark Cuban actually said 
that he thinks wokeness is good for corporations. Okay. And you have to believe that, right? Because corporations aren't stopping this nonsense. You know, um, apparently it's okay with corporations if women don't exist and if schools uh, um, sexually indoctrinate children. They'll help, right? Target will help the perverts out there who want to sexually indoctrinate our children into believing that they are the wrong gender and they will provide them, you know, with bathing suits and, and binders and all the rest of it. And if we push back on that, they start calling us names and we shut up. But guess what? That's not how it's playing out. It's really not. A new Gallup poll suggests that this culture war has backfired badly. This year, the largest number of Americans ever have come out of the closet as social conservatives since back in 2012. Joe Biden has truly taken us back to the uh, first Obama term in more ways than one. And now let me say why that's so Amazing. And I, I always have, the, I've said this a hundred times. I said it at a speaking engagement last week, and I've said it on the air numerous times. But when people tell you that they are fiscally conservative, but socially liberal or socially uh, moderate, whatever term they're going to use, which I used to do, I used to say that I'm a fiscal conservative, but I'm a social libertarian, right? Can't be both. You just can't. You can't be a fiscal conservative and want to throw money indiscriminately at every stupid thing that the, uh, you know, the minority of people in this country will tell you they want you to do. 74% of Republicans, I'm not talking about people like me or independents, I'm talking about, you know, card-carrying Republicans, 74% of them now identify as socially conservative. That's a 14% increase in just a couple of years. Why? Because they're watching the, the leftist dystopia and it's so vile and disgusting to them that they're no longer afraid to say, I don't, I don't agree with that. No, 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 no. You know, our values never were negotiable before. How come they became negotiable now? I'll continue to talk about this in just a moment. Let me take a break so I can stay somewhat on schedule because I'm just, um, um, I don't even know how to describe the mood I'm in today, but I am sick and tired of uh, being told that there's some things I'm, uh, I should talk about and there's some things I shouldn't talk about and there's uh, you know some politicians I should support and there's some politicians I shouldn't support. I live in America. This is a free country. I do a radio program in the United States of America. I'll talk about anything I want to talk about. And if you don't like it, you have the extraordinary luxury of not listening. But you're not going to tell me to shut up. I'll be right back. So I guess all I'm saying is don't give up. You know, don't let people tell you that you shouldn't be talking about things that matter because I think that the uh, climate has changed dramatically. And it's not because um, people used to be uh, more open-minded. No, 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 no. When you ask me how I feel about, you know, some 23-year-old saying that they have been suffering for years with gender dysphoria and they want 
help. You know, they want a medical intervention. They want to have whatever it is, a surgery. They want to have, you know, hormone therapy. I will say to you, it's not my cup of tea, but that's an adult. And if they want to make that decision, that's okay with me. If they got suckered into it on the internet, they're an adult, you know? But what really freaks everybody out and why you're seeing the culture war changing and more people saying, wait a minute, is because they decided to, to sexualize children. When I went to school, you know, this is the change that's happened in the last, let's say, 50 or 60 years. When I was growing up, teachers could hug you, you know, um, they were generally very appropriate hugs. You know, I'm sure there were instances where they weren't, and those, uh, you know, that's a sad story. But for the most part, teachers were loving. Principals could hit you, you know, but they weren't beating you senseless. You know, they, my principal had a ruler, a, a, a yardstick, and you don't want to cross my principal because you get the yardstick, you know? Um, but nobody was allowed to talk about things like sex. Even in when I was in middle school, the, the uh, health class was very, very limited. You know, like uh, they talked about things like washing your face and hands, right? They did not talk about birth control. Forget it, didn't happen. When did we become uh, okay with some, you know, first grader hearing about whatever, whether it's gender dysphoria, being trapped in the wrong body, or uh, Heather has two mommies, or anything else. When did that become the purview of strangers, adults? adults? To me, that's a violation of a family's right, right? There are families who believe that um, for whatever reason they believe it, whether it's a religious reason, or any other reason, they have a right to determine what their children will be exposed to in every arena. Now, obviously, reading, writing, and arithmetic is not a problem. And even that became problematic. Anyway, let me tell you the difference. When I started teaching, we now had to take classes in how don't hug children. You're not allowed to hug children because the child can make a complaint, go home and tell their mother that you touch them. Okay, so we stopped hugging children. And I have to tell you, it didn't really help the children. And it certainly made all the teachers walk around like on, you know, uh, on their tiptoes. They were afraid to, to, to you know, a, a child comes into your class and tells you, my grandmother passed away and their heart is broken and you can't touch them, you can't hug them, you know. And so we were a little, you know, upset about that. But I cannot imagine, and I worked with very young children, I cannot imagine myself in the 1970s having a conversation with a kindergarten kid or a preschool kid or even a first or second or third grader about any kind of sex at all. That just didn't happen. So the reason you're seeing more people identify as socially conservative is because the left took advantage of us not paying attention. And then, bada bing, COVID hit, and now 
parents were watching what goes on in the classrooms because they're on the screen, you know, and they look over their kid's shoulder and the teacher is talking about how, you know, if you feel like a little boy, you can tell me about it. I won't tell your mommy. You know, I actually interviewed a parent that happened to. She's looking over her kid's shoulder and the teacher is telling her kid or actually confirming to her second or third grader, I don't remember, it was a, a young child, that in fact she was non-binary. I don't even, to this day, and I've looked it up and I, I can tell you what the official definition of non-binary is, but it's, it's a load of crap is what it is. You know, you are not, we are not all born undistinguishable sexually. We're just not. You know, ask any, uh, you know, obstetrician if he truly or she truly believes that when that baby comes out, that she should say, I'm not sure what it is. You know, or it could be a girl or it could be a boy. You know, <laughs> it's mind boggling. And that's why people are now saying, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I don't believe in that. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't think Target should be selling, you know, binders for young girls. I don't think that, uh, you know, that talking about birth control and abortion in middle school is appropriate. You know, so you have people who are pretty liberatarian in many ways, but don't don't mess with our children. What was it yesterday Joe Biden said, oh, you know, uh, our children. He was talking about our children the LGBT community, these are our children. No, they're not your children. You're the government. The, my children are my children. You had your own children, and what a mess you made of them. Well, not all of them, but certainly Hunter. These are not your children. We don't, our children don't belong to the government. You know, this is still a republic. We, this is not a communist or a socialist country, although we're certainly heading in that direction. So our children do not belong to the government. They don't get to decide what's appropriate for our children. We're supposed to decide that. So this backlash against the culture war isn't the best news ever, but it is a beginning, right? Millennials are going to begin to see this the same way that people my age see it. They're going to say, wait a minute, now I have kids. And now I don't like that. My, my son came home from school today and he was telling me, you know, it might be a, a, a Christian family, it might be a traditional Jewish family, it might be a Muslim family. And their kid comes home and says, uh, you know, well, I, I think I'm, I'm in the wrong body. Let me tell you something. Those parents are not going to accept that. And they're going to say, where did you hear that? Now, our history, unfortunately, particularly the history of your Republican Party, has been riddled with squishy elected officials. And they tolerate all this nonsense because you don't push back. You know, if you want a country that has any hope of a future, you got to start letting the elected officials know that you are not going to give your kids to the government, that you want uh, the final say, 
in what is being taught to your children, even if they go to public school. I love when, you know, Biden says, well, you don't get to decide what your, your child learns in a public school. Really? Then stop taking my property tax money to fund the schools. Okay. I don't even have children in the schools in Florida anymore, but I still pay the property taxes that operate those schools. Okay. So don't tell me that we should not have any say in it. You cannot continue to let them get away with this crap because, you know, they've just gone so far. And that's the point. That's why, you see, the American left was willing to settle for a kind of slow march into this, you know, awful leftist world that they think is so utopian, right? And they kept at it. And then they watched because conservatives and Republicans and even independents just let them go. You know, we never push back. We're always afraid they're going to call us racist or transphobes or homophobes. And, and, and so we, we get more tolerant and more tolerant and they get more outrageous. And the next thing you know, your president is telling you that these are our children. That's why you saw what you saw at the school board meetings. And that's why you saw what you saw at the election in, in Virginia when Youngkin got elected. That guy ran on the premise that parents have a right to determine what their children will be exposed to in school. You know, uh, uh, is, that a, is that a real far-out concept? Well, apparently to the left it is. Let me tell you something. We let the woke get away with this stuff. The wokes believe that they're the only ones who know what's going on. But I think more and more Americans are waking up. You know, they're against wokeness. And once they wake up, I don't think they're going to, you know, tolerate this much longer. And I don't think that they're going to go back to sleep. That's just my feeling. You know, I talk to enough people to tell you the grimaces that I see on people's faces when I talk about you know, what happened to feminism, now I'm supposed to stand back and allow them to have males competing against girls who fought so hard, my generation fought so hard for Title IX, we fought for equity, not equity, equality, equal opportunity. We fought for that stuff, right? And now we're being told, well, guess what? You know, if, if he says he's a girl, he can run in the race. If he says he's a, a girl, he can bicycle. The cyclist that just won this competition, I think it was in North Carolina, some big race, a women's competition, he beat the woman by five minutes. That's a long time. Why? Because he is a man. And if they want us to be so embracing of this whole transgender thing, then start a league of their own, okay? You know, and have the transgendered lean and... And guys who believe they're women can compete with other guys who believe they're women, and women who believe they're guys can compete with other guys who, uh, with other women who believe they're guys, or they can compete with each other, but they cannot compete with, with our women, okay? We're not going to tolerate that. So anyway, uh, don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock, Dan Bongino, and then at 4 o'clock, Ben Shapiro, and then at 5 o'clock, Matt Walsh, and at six o'clock the WPTV news I have one segment left so stay right where you are I'll be right back so you know um, it's so funny because we are so polarized and everybody knows that right but there's some things we do agree on and one of those is that childhood 
should be a good time. You know, childhood should not be a time where you're inundated with messages that you can't possibly understand. You know, I am 69 years old and I do not understand what non-binary means. Okay, I mean, I can tell you what the the dictionary says or what the, you know, I can search it on Google, but I don't understand it. I do not understand why anybody would allow a five or six-year-old to convince them that they knew what was best for them, okay? Because, you know, when I was five years old, I wanted to be a cowboy. I say this all the time. And I wanted a six-gun. You know, I grew up to still want a six-gun, but once I was an adult, I could get one. But when I was a child, does anybody really believe that my parents would have supported my decision to be a cowboy? I didn't even want to be a cowgirl. I wanted to be a cowboy, okay? I had the boots, and when my mother tried to put me in the little skirt, the little cowgirl skirt, I said, oh, no, 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 no. I need chaps, <laughs> you know? I wanted to be a cowboy. But, you know, children don't know what they want. So they want everything, and they want as much of it as they can get, especially someone like me. I'm a more monster, right? But I'm just, uh, you know, uh, they went too far, and now people are turning. People are turning, even on the left. They really are. It's just like this whole thing with Donald Trump. You know, I can tell you this. You know, Carrie Lake said it. Uh, Dick Morris said it. I said it. I don't remember who said it first. I think it was Carrie Lake. But inside of every liberal, there is a conservative trying to get out. And I know that sounds like far-fetched, but it's really not, because that was my experience. You know, I wanted to be slick and cool and I wanted to be progressive and I wanted all those things. I wanted to fit in in college and I wanted to fit in as a young adult and, you know, I wanted to go to Woodstock, all that kind of stuff. But deep down inside, I did not approve of all the crazy stuff that was being said. I was the kind of feminist who didn't hate men, you know, and then it became impossible for me to be part of a feminist movement, which became anti-men and became their number one subject was abortion and that was not mine. You know, I just wanted to be able to serve in Congress. How about that? Anyway, so they went too far. And now it's our responsibility to set the ship right. So start calling your congressmen, call your senators, send them emails, and don't bow down. S tell people why you support Trump or why you support the Senate, whoever you support. Make your case. It's now or never. I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon, if it be his will, and he delays his coming. And may God bless you. May God bless the United States of America. And may God watch over Donald Trump. I'm getting really nervous. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.